All right, so I'm here with Lewis. Lewis, thank you so much for being on my podcast again for the second time. Really, really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. So why don't you remind the audience of who you are and, uh, and what you do currently and as well as the time you had in, uh, in service. Okay, uh, so I'm a former Army officer. Um, I joined the ROTC program not long after September 11th, uh, like within a couple months, and um, went to Afghanistan in 04, um, went to Iraq in 06, um, served with the 82nd Airborne for a little while, and then um, did some intelligence work, and then finally decided that I wanted to live life outside of the military, and I worked for John Deere for a while, and um, and now I've got a new venture, which is something that I was hoping to chat about uh, today and kind of bring all together. You know, last time we talked a little bit with some some firefight stories and some leadership stuff, and kind of continue that because I know you know firefights are fun to t talk about. <laughs> and then tying some of that. Um, creative problem solving to where we are today. And I, I really feel like that's something that um, we need to take a look at in an environment, a business environment that is drastically different from uh, even six months ago, you know? Yeah. What do you think about all that's happening, you know, all that's happened recently regarding the uh, George Floyd and, um, you know, the, the rioters and protesters, like what, what, what are your thoughts on, on that, uh, you know, it's, um, it's a hard video to watch. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's done, um, you know, I've, I've never been a policeman. Um, but for those that have been in the military, you know, like a lot of the work you, you do over there. I mean, I don't want to say it so hard, but because uh, I'm talking out my ass since I've never <laughs> been a cop. But, but I can say that I've been in situations before where you're trying to uh, subdue somebody. And, and I kind of fall in this weird place where I can say that, you know, someone who's, I, I've done combat sports and the like, and I can, I can see the utility in using a chokehold to, um, to, to get somebody into a compliant mode without leaving lasting damage. The problem is I also cannot see how you can show such indifference to another human life and for nearly nine minutes choke a man to death while he begs for his life and calls out for his mother. And, and that to me just, yeah. it, uh, you know, and, and, and if we're gonna, we're gonna go, you're gonna get me deep right off the bat, son. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, it, this is a community that, that has long suffered at the hands of, um, at the hands of government. I mean, I know for a lot of folks, they'll look and say, well, you know, slavery was, it's been over for 150 years. And, but Martin Luther King was killed not very long ago. Yeah. Um, and, and he was murdered because he was asking for equality and, and, that, you know, those, those people that were yelling at African Americans that are coming to their first day of school, um, they're still around here today. Like a lot of them remember that, you know, uh, my, my parents were in that generation of the beginning of integration and they, they remember what that was like. I mean, we're not talking that long ago. Right. Um, and so you, you have, if you think about, you know, like you injure yourself or something and, and you know, I can touch my arm right now and, and it doesn't bother me, but if it, if I had just burned it and I rub my hand across it, it would, it was, it's a, it's a raw injury and rubbing that and, and, and hitting that again, it's just, it, it becomes another event, not just, you know, a single event, but it, it becomes again, another in a long line. I mean, you know, <laughs> heck, Rodney King wasn't that long ago. Like I remember when that went down, right? So this isn't this isn't the beginning of something. And um, I, I look at our our national situation, and, and um, you know, every eight hours somebody's killed by police. Uh, we have the largest prison population in the planet. 
in both per capita and in total numbers. We arrest more people than anyone else on this earth and, and at, a, at a higher rate than any time in the history of the United States. Right. Um, and so, you know, this is just data that I look at and say, you know, there, there is a systemic issue that we need to address and resolve. Um, I just, I don't, I, I have trouble <laughs> joining either camp uh, in some of these situations in, in one or the other, but I, I understand the frustrations of the African-American community and, and the, the outrage, and, and I empathize with it as well, you know, and being Latino guy, I've, I've been on the receiving end of some of this stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, would, like, tell me like what? Uh, okay. Um, so, uh, year 2000, I was a senior in high school in Miami mm-hmm. and Elian Gonzalez, I don't know if you remember, he, yeah. um, the, the mom died bringing him over to the States and, and there was a whole thing about the immigration status of this kid. Um, and in the end, you know, there's the famous photo of the, the guy, you know, they, they storm the house and, and take this kid. Right. Right. Um, so being in Miami at that time, I saw a lot of protests and <laughs> the, um, you know, that Confederate flag always loves to come out whenever, whenever racism, uh, starts yeah, I don't, talking. I don't get the whole Confederate flag argument. Yeah. I know like it's part of your culture, but, uh, but that's the argument that they make sometimes it's it's not that we're racist but it's part of the culture and um i don't know i just don't i just don't buy it it's i don't think it's i mean to 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 have so to have something that represents something that's so painful for other people i i don't think it's it's not that painful it's not as painful to give that flag up right, right. <laughs> as um as it is to uh to deal with the ramifications of experiencing what that what that's done in the past um, or experiencing just what that represents, you know? Yeah. And uh, so that's just my thought on the, I, I just don't, I know people make their arguments on why the, it's okay to have a Confederate flag, but it's just, it's just not okay. I mean, it just, it represents just the, the, the worst form of human history. Um, now I know that some of the people listening may not see it that way. Um, but you know, <laughs> you know, but, you know, because I, I do know that they feel it's sometimes very part of the, the culture that they, it's just part of their heritage, essentially, uh, that they not only grew up with, but it's just part of their history. And um, I mean, such a ho- hotly debated topic right now. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I, I, I've, I see that a lot of the people are probably are comfortable waving that flag would probably get upset if I walk down the streets uh, or they get upset when they see Mexican flags or Puerto Rican flags or Cuban flags being waved by American citizens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this is the, you know, go home. And, and, and that's kind of the, the, you know, the story of that, that I was getting at there is that, that, there was a lot of the go home. We don't want you in our country. And, and to me, it was like, this is my country. What are you talking about? Go home. I, you know, yeah. I have no other home. This is, this is home. Yeah. And um, I, I brought up in this class, I'm in a government class. I sat in the front of the class. I, I didn't have a lot of friends at the time. And I said, you know, um, the problem I have right now is that this has become less about the immigration status of this kid and more of an anti-Cuban uh, racist yeah. sentiment that is just um, going through our community. And right. this kid, he was, he said, he was six seats behind me on my left, over my left shoulder. And he said, shut up, you Cuban bitch. And, and I just lost it. I, I lost it. I kicked the desk out from underneath me and I turned around and I said, um, uh, you know, if you got to, I said, why don't you come up here and I'll whoop your ass in front of the whole class. And he <laughs> He said that? Oh, yeah. And he stayed in his seat. And the professor didn't say anything yet at this point. He stayed in his seat. And I said, so who's the bitch now? And, of course, the kids in the classroom, they're all like, ooh. And I was like, you know, all of you shut up. And I said, if any one of you has a problem with Cubans, you come up here and I'll whoop your ass one at a time. Yeah. And now the professor, he gets involved. And he's like, all right, all right. Let's calm down. Right? And so I'm sitting. I sit back down on my desk. And now my desk is facing the window. And I'm just seething. I'm so angry. 
Yeah. Um, and it was, for me, that was really like the first time that I had experienced racism. I was a Navy brat. Um, and so I grew up all over the country and all over the world. And, and, you know, when you're overseas, you're, you're an American. So all the Americans get together and that's, you know, and, and everybody's military parents. I, I just never really experienced any sort of racism. And then, and then I came to the States and saw it for the first time. So now I'm experiencing this for the first time. And yeah, this, uh, this big black kid from the, from the back of the classroom comes walking up. And I could see him from my periphery and I was like, oh man, that dude is huge. And I just challenged like the whole class to a fight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm going to get whooped up. Like that's what's about to happen. I'm going to get whooped up. But I decided it was like, I I'm so scared. I'm shaking and I'm holding onto the side of my desk. So he doesn't see that my hands are shaking I'm kind of grabbing the edges of the desk, you know? Yeah. And he walks right up and he gets like right next to me. And I just basically decided like, I've already dug this hole. And I'm going to dig my way out of it, right? So I looked up at him like I wasn't scared. And I was like, what? And he looked down at me for a moment, and then he smiled. And he's like, you're all right. Come sit with us. <laughs> <laughs> and so the rest of that year, I played spades in the back of my government class with all my black friends. And those are the, the community that took me in. Yeah. Right? And, and it took me a long time to really realize and appreciate what he had just because he looked at me and he saw what he has gone through in the past and what his family's gone through and the stories of his parents and his grandparents, right? You know, so he knew, he knew what I was experiencing and no one else there did. Where, where was this high school, by the way? What city? Uh, it's, it's a, that was Palmetto Senior High in Miami, Florida. Got it. Wow. Um, Are there a lot of racist people in, in Florida? I don't know, man. I, I guess there's racist people everywhere, right? It's uh, well, there's, there's, they seem to be more concentrated in certain areas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you go down south a little bit. You know? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I have, um, I, I learned to recognize it, and you know, I have been in places where I felt uncomfortable and just kind of like, all right, I. You know, luckily for me, I can blend in if I need to. I don't really have an accent. And, you know, unless you see an ID and see the EZ at the end of my name. And if I want to play along, I, I can get away with it. But usually it's just to get myself out of a situation if I see things that, you know, I'm probably not welcome if they know who I really am. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so sometimes when you talk to um, about police brutality, Here's the argument that's made. Um, so I want to see this from like both perspectives, right? So um, when you make the argument of police brutality and how it um, disproportionately affects uh, minorities, uh, white people will point out sometimes, not all white people, so I'm not uh, saying you guys are, uh, you know, white people are a monolith, but sometimes um, they, some people will say that there's more white people that get beat up by cops um, uh, statistically, well, first of all, the population of white people's, there's much more white people for, first of all, that's the first thing. The second thing is when, when a white person gets beat up by a cop, they don't see it as a manifestation of everything they've experienced in their entire life. <laughs> it's much right. different to them. It's like, Oh, white person got beat up by a cop. There's no like personal connection that other white people have to that guy or right. to the girl that's being harassed by the cops mm -hmm. but when a black person or a minority gets uh you know affected by the cops everyone sees it as a personal to them because they've experienced to some extent even if it doesn't say in any statistic they've experienced to some extent either a weird look or uh a uh, just harassment in some sense you know mm -hmm. because of the color of their skin that's it and so when they see that it's it's more it, it it's more emotionally connected to them as opposed to, you know, when you see a white guy getting beat up by a cop, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's how I see it. Am I, am I, you know, characterizing that correctly? I, yeah, I, I actually, there's um, a video of, um, there's a guy that I, I watch some of his content sometimes. Uh, he's a, um, a Christian apologist, so makes arguments for Christianity, and, and his name's David Wood. And he's a 
uh, former prison inmate and, and taught, he, he posted a video recently about um, his experience with police and, and basically said kind of the same thing you did. If he gave his personal experience as a prisoner um, when a guard threatened him and then, and then correlated that and said, you know, as a white guy, I just looked at it and said, here's a guard that's just a terrible human being. But had I been black, then, then the, the same event is experienced differently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right? So I, I think, you know, in the same way that um, we look at the, we try and examine things through the policeman's eyes. And they ask us to as well, like try and examine that through that eyes. I, I offer you to look at the same experience from, you know, the citizens' eyes as well and what experiences they've had. Of course. And then, yeah, but, but then also like saying to defund the police, that's also not a good idea. Uh, you know, it's just not a good idea to say defund the police. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a stupid plan to do that. <laughs> I think, I think some of that comes down to we're asking a policeman to do too much. And so, you know, you're, we're paying these people very little and asking them to do very much with extremely little training and the training that they do get is focused on staying alive they get these high pressure scenario trainings so that if they're going to make an error that the error is in drawing faster drawing your weapon faster yeah um and so you know you're you're asking a policeman to be there as you know to be a psychologist to be a family counselor to be um, a uh, you know do CPR to do you know like all of these additional tasks and duties that we're trying to assign to them and it's essentially giving a hammer the job of the toolbox and to do all of these things and that's not the role of the hammer and I think that's where I think that defund the police is a bad terminology for what their end goal is because I thought too, like what, you know, and, and looking into it, I think the, the thought process behind it is essentially giving the 911 responder more tools in their toolbox to be able to say, we need a counselor, we need a psychologist, we need, you know, all of these paramedic, whatever it is that you have multiple different people that can respond to a call and not always be sending the, the, the policeman to that. And so it's a reallocation of funding to additional sources uh, where we can provide longer lasting support and, and, and potentially um, get ahead of some of these problems. Like we can identify who is more likely to fall into a life of crime early on in their life. Yeah. Um, my kids are not gonna have my kids have more opportunity than a kid born to a single mom in the projects and you know who's a drug addict and daddy's in jail right like we we can't pretend that we all have equal opportunity because that child and my children do not have the same opportunity mine mine have greater so you know what can we do to create a situation where we have some support get ahead of some of these problems um I, i think all of those are good things to look at and to consider kind of, you know, moving, moving in the long term. Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, some of these like political commentators are so polarizing because that's what gets them viewers views. Absolutely. But you can take good arguments from both sides and leave out the negative arguments from both sides. Um, the bad arguments, um, you know, so conservative, liberal, the, the, both, both are idiots, by the way. <laughs> that's what I think. <laughs> Like I'm just, an independent as well. <laughs> just just take out the good things from both sides, and then take out the like I said, the negative or bad things, bad aspects of uh, of both sides. Um, now, from a military perspective, some of them are some of them are being deployed into the cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about that? I have major heartache with that. Yeah, a lot. But it seems like at least they're more trained than a lot of the police officers, right? <laughs> right. 
Uh, that, that is the, see, so, and that's kind of what I was alluding to a little bit when I said, you know, the, the training on, on the police officer side is, is uh, now they also operate differently. So, you know, a cop is more likely to be alone. Soldiers uh, always travel in packs. Yeah, at least. Right. So there's at least a buddy team. You're never going to be alone. Um, so I'm never going to have a situation where I'm alone with, with, uh, but we, we, we used to call it the strategic corporal or the strategic specialist depends and, you know, but, but basically what you're saying, the corporal specialist, these are young guys. Um, so a 19 year old on a machine gun in Southern Iraq on the, on, in the turret of a Humvee, and he has to make a judgment call. And if he decides to pull the trigger on that machine gun and tears through a family uh, because they didn't stop appropriately, and there's photographs and video of mom uh, or dad holding a dead child, you are guaranteed that tomorrow you're going to get blown up. Right? You do that today, tomorrow someone's going to blow you up. You're going to get into a firefight that they are going to attack you. It's guaranteed because they're, they're just so like they're they want to retaliate they want of course. more revenge yeah right and i can't blame it you know the the, the you can't blame yeah you can't blame them. Right. yeah so so we we focus heavily on escalation of force and understanding the steps of escalating force and then quickly de-escalating as well so you're always trying to to de-escalate the force and and that is your role is to to de-escalate the situation and, do you think that's the main component? Sorry, sorry to cut you off. Uh, mm -hmm. But do you think that's the main component that makes the American military so much more sophisticated than other militaries? Uh, well, I mean, we also have lots more weapons and training. <laughs> so we, we <laughs> a lot more money. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I trained for an entire year almost before. Well, not quite. Let's see. I, I, I started june 6 on 2004 and i arrived to my unit in february um and also i'd had four years of rotc training but uh you know from june to february and all of my life every minute of it was preparing for war and for combat and for leading uh men i was literally there at classroom time field time whatever right um how long is a police academy? You know, I, I don't know, but a couple months, like, you know, how often do they get a chance to shoot? And I, to me, like the, there is a, there's a training component. Um, there's the, there's the funding component, the amount of money that these guys are paid. Um, you know, you can't, you can't pay a guy $40,000 a year. How much they get paid? The, the cops? something like that you know 40 or 50 grand um but you, you can't pay someone that amount of money give them an extremely high stress job with tons of hours that they have to work and you know give them a, a three-month course and then put them out on the street every day and say you're, you'll figure it out out there and expect them to perform at exceedingly high levels I, I just I think it's unfair to them. I think it's unfair to the, to the, to the society. You know, like there's a lot of victims here in these situations. So um, we can do better and we should. And, and the answer is not to put the responsibility on citizens, which I've seen a lot, like, you know, don't act a fool and you won't die by the hands of the cops. And, and like, I don't think, you know, Breonna Taylor wasn't acting a fool. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a, you know, the guy in Walmart who picked up the BB gun and, and then was executed. And right, so, so that's a, but, um, and then B we need to do, we need to do better with our, with our police and preparation and payment and all that. So yeah. <clears throat> you have police officer friends. A lot. Yeah. Got it. Many, many of them, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes our relationship gets strained because I'm quick to call out those, abuses of power um i'm not a but it's i'm in a weird place you know like yeah. i said you can identify with a community that that feels victimized and i can also say that what we're asking our police force to do is too much the problem is i heard joe rogan talking about this and he was talking about how 
um, when you have a, a squad leader or whatever the case may be, the leader of a particular police department who is super aggressive and, and super and just a bad person. Yeah. It kind of permeates the whole department. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that type of culture. And so that's, that's where you get like literally whole police departments that are really uh, corrupt and bad. Um, well, and the other thing is that you, you create a situation where, it, and this is a fundamental difference between the military and the police is that, you know, for the military, we go, we deploy someplace and, and it, it is true that everyone around you can be an enemy. Mm -hmm. But instilling that same mentality and culture in the police force, I think there's a mistake. And, and so, you know, in addition, as a community that is being kind of attacked right now, they're, they're, they're rallying around each other and they feel like it's us versus them. You know, the thin blue line and, and you know, I bleed blue and, and blue lives matter, right? So you're creating a situation where it's us and them. And so if you are separate, um, then, then you're always going to see it that way. And, and I think that's, that's another thing we need to like, we need to bring these communities together and, and, and make it so that it's not, it's not an us and them, it's a we, right? And in that we're doing this together and we, everybody has a role to play and, and we need to work together and not, um, not be so against each other. I don't know. Um, like a hippie. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it does seem like there's in the police force, from what I've understood from police officers and I've been pulled over by good police officers and I've been pulled over by bad police officers, mm -hmm. both there's good, there's very good ones. There's very bad ones. Um, but there seems to be a dichotomy, um, between the different cultures based on age. So like older, wiser cops are not as aggressive. They're more like they can talk themselves out of almost any situation. That makes sense. Um, and then, the, but the, the younger cops that I guess they don't know what they're doing and maybe they just have a lot of testosterone mm -hmm. is like, they're way more aggressive and more aggressive than they need to be normally. Mm -hmm. right. And I think that, that comes down to, 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 uh, age and also training. Yeah. And I think if you don't get the training from the very get go, you learn it as time progresses on your own. Mm. I think the more the older you get, the more wise you become and the more of a leader you become, as opposed to when you're new, you just go with the flow. You go with whatever the, cult, the, the culture of the department is. Um, and so that's how I think. Have, I, you, ever, I, have you ever done any uh, jujitsu or anything like that before? I want to. I've okay. done um, Muay Thai. Muay Thai I've done. Yeah. Okay. So you, you look at your, your younger belts and people first start, they learn one move, right? And as soon as the whistle blows, they're like all aggressive, right? Like, ah, they want to get after it and, and, and do this thing. And, yeah. and then after years of getting tapped out and choked out and all that, and you watch the black belt roll and you watch a white belt roll. And the black belt is, is calm, they're collected. Their face doesn't really change. There's never like strain. They're going with the flow. They're allowing you to make mistakes or they're, they're baiting you to make mistakes or whatever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like in a pretzel and you're <laughs> <laughs> like, well, another thing too another thing too is like i think i heard joe rogan talk about this too is when you're when you're in a fight with somebody that really knows how to fight they know that you're probably not in, in good shape right <laughs> yeah. so, so because they're there it takes a lot of work to get in shape and so yeah. if they know that all and they know like personally if if you like swing at them a few times you're going to be out of breath a little bit absolutely yeah right and so they won't even swing like initially because they just want to give them, they, they want to give themselves the best chance of winning. Right. So, <laughs> so, like you could like swing at them like three times and these, these, these amateurs are like putting out, putting all the energy into like trying to attack them right. and then they lose all that energy. And now you're in this freaking death trap of like a yeah, like, person all, who also has a lot of energy more than you and you're tired. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you you watch fighting in movies, right? And so you have this idea of what you think a fight is going to be like. And, and rarely do you ever see in movies anybody get exhausted. You know, John yeah. Wick fights for for a week straight, nonstop, and you know he he breaks a little bit of a sweat, right? Uh, yeah. You know, I've, some, I've, of that's, some of that's genetic too, right? Do you think? What's that? Like how 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 quickly you get tired, or is it just based on training? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously there's a genetic component, no matter how hard I work, I'll never be LeBron James. Right. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Yeah. So there, I mean, there is some genetic component, but you work hard enough. I think you can, um, have anything. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can surely put the odds in your favor. Weren't you talking last time you talked about this guy that was like super big and he just had a gen- genetic, like, uh, like attributes that really helped him in, in the army. What, there's one guy in your platoon, maybe. Oh, I had a lot of, a lot of guys that were pretty, pretty fit. Amazing. And that liked to ball me up a lot. That's how I got good at fighting was just fighting with my platoon and getting balled up every day. You know, <laughs> yeah. everybody yeah. wants a chance at the, at the Lieutenant, right? But it, aren't the, aren't the guys that are real, like they could really kick your ass. Like the ones that could really kick your ass. Aren't they like the nicest people? Uh, generally because you know the only way you learn to really kick people's ass is by really getting your ass kicked and when you've really gotten your ass kicked you realize like it doesn't matter what that person looks like you will be surprised right like the the one dude that has literally knocked me out was a little bit smaller than me i'm five seven i'm not a big guy and and he's about my height and he clocked me just right and it put me down and that was the first time i stood up and my legs didn't work Right. Like, <laughs> this is a new feeling. I've yeah. never been hit this hard. Um, and so you just kind of learn. And, mm-hmm. and when you do this enough and you fight for real, like you don't need to exert this. Um, like you, you don't have anything to prove, right? The black belt doesn't have anything to prove to anybody. Yeah. Like he's been there and he's done it. He doesn't need to uh, exert anything. So those are the guys that typically they don't get in bar fights. You know, like, I don't need that. And, and, and by the way, the bar fight jacks up your training because, you know, you hit somebody and when you punch somebody, it hurts, you know, and you can break bones if you don't catch it just right or you slip on something or whatever. Or he happens to duck his forehead down and catches you right. Like, you want to control that because if you're, if you train regularly, you don't like getting injured, right? So, I don't know. It's uh, like one of those things that, I, it's like one of those things where you just, when you when you're trained, you have like this big stick that you can use at any point in time. But yeah. You just use it. <laughs> yeah, you don't ever feel the need to use it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When people have this small stick, they have, they feel like they have to compensate by yelling that they have a big stick. <laughs> right. When I when I hear a guy talking shit about how many fights he's won, that's that's when I know like, all right, he's he's full of it. But you know, it's fine. I'll let him have his moment. Like, there's no need, right? That that's kind of my thing. Is just, um, and I, I guess. You know, as I get older, I get more calm. Uh, I get, you know, been in enough fights, you know, regardless whether it's a it's a combat or whether it's a sport or whether, you know, and I never really enjoyed the street fight thing. Usually I got pulled into those by some of the folks that I hung around. But, uh, yeah. you know, like it, it, to me, making peace now as much as possible, being a peacemaker is more important um, and finding a way, right? So that's kind of, I guess, why I'm not liberal or conservative or, um, you know, I, I, I look at, have you ever seen that show, um, Hate Thy Neighbor with uh, Jamali Maddox? Hmm. I, I strongly recommend it. And Jamali's half white, half black and, and a comedian. And he goes into these different communities like the first episode is, is him going and seeing a meeting with the KKK uh, and, and watching him really seek to understand the other people. He doesn't have to agree with them, but he, but he has really a heart for people and takes his time to get to know them and understand them. And, and that is, you know, to me, what I seek to do in my life now today um, and, and looking for peace, looking to understand um and and create that that unity is is more important right? in my view yeah definitely 100 percent. i agree i agree uh i think there's too many people like trying to be right as opposed to trying to understand the other side of any oh, situation yeah everybody's trying to be right everybody has to be right i don't know why everybody has to be right yeah <laughs> Uh, some years ago I, I was in, I was in church and, and the pastor said something along the lines of um, he was, it was a sermon about marriage and he was talking about how to argue in marriage. And he said, you know, before you speak and give your point, you have to articulate your partner's point and make sure that they agree. So whatever they said, I said, you have to repurpose that, you know, so you're saying that this, is that correct? 
And the, you, you have to get them to say, yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. So you really have to understand the opposing point of view before you can respond to it. Uh, and by the way, that has helped my marriage uh, phenomenally. And also it's made me a better leader as well, because I approach the situations that way too. Like, help me understand what you're getting at and what you're trying to say. What are you, what are you getting at? And make sure that I understand it before I respond because we, we talk past each other or you put your foot in your mouth, right? So neither one of those are great. Yeah, definitely helps in marriage. <laughs> yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Marriage is not an easy thing either, you know? It's, but no. it's definitely the most rewarding thing. As most things are, you know? Like the harder yeah. something is, the more valuable and rewarding it is as well, right? Like you punch cheat codes in a video game but it, then you get bored of it, right? Like it's not nearly as fun as when you <laughs> challenge, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That is kind of a cheat code for marriage, by the way. If you're, if you're fighting a lot, try this technique, you know, and, and so. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's just interesting. All these things. Good. These are always like awesome conversations, man. Uh, <laughs> I agree. Uh, so, okay. So, Tell me about it. You want to talk about something else, but let's, let's start with this first. I know okay. you like, that's, everybody's so excited about these things. What, what didn't you talk about during the last, last podcast? Uh, you talked about a few firefights. Uh, yeah. Um, but what was, I, I think I asked you what was the scariest point, moment that you had. Um, I think at, at that point, but what was the worst thing that ever happened to you in, in the military? Oh, in the military? Jeez. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of close calls. And there's a lot of just like... Um, that's hard to answer, man. The, the worst thing. But I... Are there a lot? Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any, anybody who's been in the military has like a ton of, we, we call it the big green weenie, right? So like, you're going to get screwed by the army. So this is, this is like trying to pick like, what is it? You know, the, the, like, Oh, what's your, what, what is your, your next choice of duty station? Where do you want to go? And it's like, Oh, I'd like to go to, you know, Bragg or Campbell or Hawaii. And like, okay, you're going to Fort Polk, Louisiana. I'm like, why did you even ask me then? I'm like, where do I want to go? You know? <laughs> yeah. um, and even from the beginning like we got that like when i was in rotc I, I got lucky i got my first choice of branch but you actually you you have to rank every branch that you want to be in from one to 16 and and then and then the higher supposedly the story was the higher ranking you were because they ranked every single cadet in the nation from cadet number one all the way to cadet 5000 or something that was uh, at the bottom and then they said that the higher you are the greater chance you are, like the draft, the greater chance you have of getting your branch. And my group of friends, the, the little tactics group that we did, we were ranked numbers one through six in our senior year in our, in our class at the University of Florida. And then nation, nationally, the lowest ranking guy was like 900 something. I was like 600 something in the nation. So we were all in the top 1000 in the nation, but then our number one guy was like 106 in the nation. So it was like, oh, that dude's getting what he wants. Right? And he got like his 15th choice. And like it, it was the moment he cried the day he got the, his branch choice, right? And it was like, dude, why did, why did he get screwed? And it was that, that branch, and I think it was like Chemical Corps or something, that branch needed a good, like they needed good officers. So they got to pick from like the top 100 cadets. And he got like, he's just the guy, like nobody in the top, two five seven hundred wanted to go to that branch but they got a choice and he just happened to be the guy right and uh yeah so that was like the beginning of like why did you even have us why did you ask me what i wanted you were just going to tell me what it was going to be anyway right yeah um is there but, a team that you can think of that just never lost a fight they're just like the all-stars and and i want to ask another question too that actually i'm very interested in but let's start with this one um was it just like, like in the NBA, you know, there's like an all-star team. You like, mm -hmm. you put these players together. There's no way anybody's beating them. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, there's, there's different dynamics, right? So if you have too many all-stars, you know, it could be a bad team, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
was there ever a team that you thought that, that everybody knew about? It was like, there's no, no, no. If anybody goes against these guys, they're done. Uh, I will tell you, as somebody who served in the 82nd Airborne, and you can ask anybody else who served in the 82nd Airborne, they will say that the 82nd Airborne as a whole, all 20,000 soldiers, like that is what the 82nd is, right? You know, there's, there's, there's a funny story um, in World War II. Uh, so Hitler launches his offensive, and you end up um, – the, the Battle of the Bulge is, is the 82nd and the 101st Airborne hold their ground while the rest of the of the Allied forces start to fall around them. And that, you know, so everybody falls around them, creates this bulge, right? And there's a story that that there's a tanker who's who's retreating and he sees this soldier with a with an E-tool digging a trench. And uh, he's like, hey, do you know where it's safe? Like, where's, where's safety at? And the, the soldier looks up at him and says, yeah, pull your tank up right behind me. I'm the 82nd Airborne, and this is as far as those bastards are going, right? Like, that was the safe place is to be behind this one dude who's just like, that's it, right? Uh, so, yeah, and, and, and really, the, you can make the team. You can make that all-star team as a leader. Um, and, and you have those, those tools and the training and the people uh, necessary to be able to execute that. So, uh, it, it's not when it comes to soldiering, it's not athletic. I mean, athletic ability matters, but that's not going to you being the best in shape. Isn't going to set you apart. You know, having some of that, um, being intelligent, extremely intelligent. is like a game changer too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, being able to see the battlefield, think strategically, execute tactically, um, take care of your team, look after the troops. Like these are the things that, and and that builds the loyalty in the team, which builds that ferocity in combat. Uh, and, and that's what creates those unstoppable groups that dig a freaking trench and tell the tank that the safe place is right behind me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so um, regarding, uh, did you ever try to join the Navy SEAL? Navy SEALs? Um, so kind of. Uh, so my dad was a naval officer, and oh. when when I was 18, before I went into college, I was exploring the idea of joining the military, and so I did go and and, and I talked to the Navy and, and and examined that a little bit. Um, but the chances of becoming a Navy SEAL, uh, oh, none. It, I mean, it was low, but but the counter to that was like if if it didn't work out and I didn't make it through the SEALs. Uh, then I'd be a Navy officer. And I was like, ugh, you know, yeah. whereas um, if I went into the army, there was the, there was the, the regular army and then there was the Rangers and then there was the Green Berets and then there was Delta Force. And I'd like have this plan where, you know, I could do all of these things. Um, and if I fail in, in one of them, I can go to a different one. And, and, and you know, so uh, I didn't want to end up stuck on a boat because I, dislocated my knee and sailed seal training right right so uh i if if i got injured i wanted to still be in the fight in a, like a real fight so uh, that's why i went through with the army side yeah um it's always interesting it's like a very popular thing these days navy seals <laughs> oh yeah absolutely All right and, and you know they're, they're quality guys i work with them a lot um and you know they supported us on a couple missions and and not the whole team, but we had a, we had a seal medic with us once, um, you know, got to work with him and then, you know, we were support for them uh, on a few missions as well. So, yeah, um, there's a lot of there. I mean, there, there's nobody in shape like those guys are, man. They're, they're physical training specimen. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Men mentally though, they're, they're, and they seem to be not only physically, but it seems like they're equally as intelligent as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll find that in a lot of the special operations. I mean, that's kind of a requirement of that. You're, you're thinking. Is you're the army, thinking, the special ops of the army is that green beret? Or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So generally that's what we would call them, but um, army rangers fall into the, the, I think they fall into the special operations category. And then there's a few other yeah. organizations, but you're required to think about problems differently um, and, and find uh, solutions to things that you maybe wouldn't see otherwise. Um, 
because you have to get creative when you're a small team and you're operating alone. Um, you know, our, the Green Berets, it's 12 dudes and they go into a country. I mean, you've seen the, the photos of these guys on, on horseback in Afghanistan. Only 12 dudes? Yeah, that's the team. It's a 12-man team. That's ODA. Yeah. yeah. Well, how, many, how many are in the Navy SEALs then? That's more? I don't know the size of a SEAL team, but I know an ODA is 12 guys. Holy crap. Yeah, and then, then they go, like, we sent, you know, that's what went into Afghanistan on, in, in the beginning. And, and they, they train, they work alongside, like, their, their role is to essentially train other militaries to fight. Um, so they're, they're out there on their own. Wow. Yeah. So Green Beret, there's only 12. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I mean, there's more Green Berets than that, but the, in the team. But, but yeah, no, I, but, but I'm saying, yeah, in the team, yeah. like there's much larger teams, right, out there. Like, uh, well, I mean, I never was a Green Beret, but as far as I can remember, well, all the ODAs are, it's a 12 man team and they deploy as a 12 man unit. And, you know, they have an organizational structure. So you can have three or four teams that go together um, and they, they report to a higher command, but three or four teams, I mean, you're, that's probably all it would take to, you know, take, a country no way oh yeah wait so wow that's interesting right because they go in and they they link up with the the local general military right and then yeah. the, the side that we're on the side that we're on they link up with them right and then they'll they'll train you know those 12 guys will train 150 200 300 soldiers wow and then they'll go to combat with those 300 guys. But don't you have, to, isn't that a different skill set? Like not only do you have to be physically fit yet, you your mental acuity has to be very high. Yeah. On top of that, you have to be a good teacher and you have to have patience. So, Absolutely. so that's like so hard to find in one person. Dude. Right. Right. That's why so many people don't make it through their, through their training. Right. And it's the same thing with the seals. I mean, you gotta, when your failure rate, so the ranger school failure rate is like 70%. 70 percent. Seventy. Yeah. And then for the guys that go to special ops, uh, when you go to special forces selection, so you are selected to go to selection, right? Like you have to pass um, different background checks and stuff just to get to try out. And then they also have a 70, 80 percent failure rate. So they only. So you know, it's not even just a tryout. You have to be selected to, from like somebody that yeah. thinks you're something special. You have to be selected to go there, and then after you pass through selection, you go through what they call the qualification course, and and people drop out of that too. And that's usually and you have language training as well. I mean, like to to get if you see a guy walking around with a tab on his shoulder, it says special forces. I mean, he he really is a special individual. <laughs> like, like that dude has been. He's been through multiple layers of selection um, to get to that point. Wow. That's yeah. intense. Right. So these are li literally like the NBA stars of like the military, like the, the cream. Uh, not even there's a, there's, there's uh, yeah. I mean, they're there. They're in that. They're I in mean, that they're like the, what I mean is like, they're the, the cream of the crop. Like they're the, absolutely. Like they're the, the, the very few. Sure. Right. But you can have people that are just as, uh, excellent leaders that just didn't want to do that role as well. Right. So um, you don't, it's not a, like I, I have met folks um, and, you know, male and female that were truly phenomenal, outstanding officers outside of that organization. Um, and I have met folks inside of that organization that were terrible. They just, they, they made it through that selection course. So even still, like they still get douchebags in there, right? Like, so. Um, but don't they test for that too? Don't they test like how selfish you are and things like that? Like they they actually like put you through tests that you don't know about to see like. Uh, you you are under observation 100% of the time when you go through their, their training. Wow. So it seems like it's the, it's, it's, it's the most difficult qualification process over anything else. Like there's no, there's nothing more difficult than that qualification process. Yeah, the Delta Force selection is harder. Really? Yeah, and then that one, I think it's the failure rate's like ninety eight percent. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what the is the best, Delta, What is the Delta Force? What is that? The best leader I have ever worked for failed that course. Um, 
And so I was like, I, when he came back and he didn't make it, I said, I don't know how. <laughs> like if, if this guy, a silver star recipient, and they didn't pick you, I, I don't know how they pick anybody. Yeah. It's like so. seeing like the LeBron James of an army uh, in the army, the LeBron James in the army, if, the, if that makes sense. So the Michael mm-hmm. Jordan in, in the army mm-hmm. that goes into the special training and he didn't make the cut. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's essentially <laughs> what it was like for me. Like I saw that guy and he came back and, and I was like, what happened? He goes, I don't know. They just told me to get in this truck. And I got in that truck and then they said, you're done. <laughs> so I was like, what? Holy crap. Yeah. That was it. So what is the Delta for? What is, what is their main like uh, priority? Um, they would have been, I mean, they, they execute on high value targets. Um, okay. Yeah, so they don't talk about what they do, and, and they were the guys that were hunting Bin Laden, right? So, Delta in, Force. Yeah. So in, the, in the beginning, they were the ones that were there. So, uh, did, yeah, did they ever work together, like the Delta Force, Green Berets, and the Navy SEALs? Did they oh, ever? Sure. I'm sure they do. Yeah. Oh, I, I wasn't. I wasn't a part of that community. Um, so my our role in Afghanistan, we were attached to a special forces unit. Um, so there's this SF unit was along the Afghanistan-Pakistan border, and they had probably the most dangerous area of Afghanistan, and, and, and they were just those 12 guys, and they requested help because they were getting into firefights all the time, and, and you know, it was, it was a difficult place to be. So we went out there with two platoons of guys, so we had 60, 60, 60 guys plus their 12 plus 100 and some odd Afghan soldiers, mm-hmm. um, and so we went out there to dominate that space. <laughs> and and uh and i i worked for because it was an sf unit so we responded to we were we were under the control of the special forces commander and we had to follow their rules um, wow. but that's as close as i got to being a part of that community um so that's that's really interesting uh do you ever miss like being in the military Absolutely. Yeah. No, without yeah. a doubt. But then I remember about all, all the BS that you go through, you know, and then it's like, yeah, I made the right call. You know, <laughs> I, I follow all the military pages. Cause every time I get an itch, like, man, I, you know, I miss jumping out of airplanes and shooting guns and, you know, like that was all cool. And then still shoot know, guns. <laughs> what's that? You can still shoot guns. Yeah. 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 I mean, not the same way though. You know, <laughs> I, can't, I can't go to a range and, and fire, you know, and, and I was free, you know, <laughs> yeah didn't cost me anything but i follow the military pages so i get to see all the bs that's going on I'm like oh yeah that's that's why I, i'm not uh, i don't want to be a part of that anymore uh, so yeah um there's probably a bunch of lifers in the military too like they're just there for life and yeah and then they have trouble when they get out adjusting to a world that they don't understand um because civilian world is a very different place. And it took me a while to, to, and I had only seven years in, and, you know, it was probably a couple of years before I finally got myself understanding what life was like as a civilian and, and getting, you know, stretching, stretching out my, my limbs and stuff. You know? <laughs> What's the main difference? Like, what did you find? Like, why was it so hard to acclimate? Uh, you know, everything in the military is structure, it's rank, it's, it's procedure, um, there's, there's bases, the community, all your friends, the roles you, you join as a private and your first day, you can map out your entire career for 20 years, the same for a second Lieutenant, um, and the duty stations. And like, there's a lot of structure organization follow through, you know, whatever. Um, and then you get to civilian world and I get to my first job and I was like, Hey, what's my career path going to be like? I'm like, you can be whatever you want. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, how do I figure this out? <laughs> You know, yeah. you get in as an infantry lieutenant and you're like, okay, so you're going to be a lieutenant, you're going to be, you're going to be a platoon leader, then you're going to be an XO, then you're going to be a company commander or no, XO, and then you're going to be an assistant S3, and then you're going to be a company commander, then you're going to be an S3, you're going to be a battalion XO, then you're going to be a battalion commander, like that, like, broop, there's my career, you know, with these little stops here and there, but those are the key jobs that you got to have to progress. Mm-hmm. It's not like that in the civilian world. What you about know? dealing with other people? Like, was there anything like that you just were frustrated on the civilian side that you were frustrated with, like where you just thought, well, why are these people doing the right things? Like, Mm. like, I don't know, like, was there, was there a culture in the civilian world that you you saw in a negative light that didn't relate to 
the army? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, in the military, if I ask a guy to go do something, uh, and I say, you know, go do this, he stops and he goes and does that. And, <laughs> and, then, and then, right. So you laugh, right? Like that was a new concept to me that I say, go do this. And, and that means, Hey, when you got a minute and it's convenient for you, please go ahead and ask <laughs> me about whether or not you should still do this. Right. Like, oh, like, dude, that's, but that's something that already annoys me though. <laughs> 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 but I, you know, that was, that was a hard adjustment to make, uh, to get to know that, but you know, I figured it out. And I think if you, if you live an entire life from 18 to 50 and, and you live that way and in that community, it's hard to, you know, a lot of those guys, they end up working for the government again when they become civilians, because that's what they know and understand. It makes sense. Oh. Yeah. So, so why don't you tell us about what you're doing now? Mm. Uh, yeah, so creative, creative problem solving. Um, and and we, we touched on it a little bit about, <clears throat> so I think in the last podcast, I talked about that firefight where we got surrounded and outnumbered yeah. uh, and kind of barely got out of there. And uh, so after that fight, our, our commander came down and he was like, hey, we're, uh, we're going to go back to that hill. And, and, and I'm taking a bunch of people. So I'm taking a, uh, a platoon of Afghans and a platoon of U.S. forces. And we're going to go back and we're going to take the hill. And um, kind of a long story, but we end up going and, and, and assisting that group. There's like nine of us. And um, after the whole operation, the enemy kind of left. There was no, nothing happened. No shots were fired. We, we shot a bunch of uh, uh, Apache rounds and that. But anyway, um, so the commander leaves me there and he's like, Hey, we're going to pull off and make this big show of us leaving and we're going to leave you here. So, so if the enemy decides to come back, you know, you're here to have this fight with them and then we'll come and support you. <laughs> and he's like, sweet. I'm bait. All right, cool. You know? And uh, so he leaves and he leaves me with, um, a, uh, these guys, they had, um, the signal intelligence so they could call into the radio and listen into enemy radio frequencies and the like. And so we hear the enemy saying, hey, they're pulling off the mountain. Let's go and take it, blah, 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 blah. And they're, they're having this conversation. And then somehow we got spotted. And so they're like, oh, there's still soldiers there. And they're trying to figure out how many of us there are. And they're getting ready to come in and, and uh, assault this mountaintop. And um, this fog sets in and it was so thick and we could barely see and I could see the fires of where this enemy encampment was, and we're trying to get air support. And the, I had an Air Force guy with me who's a, a tactical air controller. He's like, dude, there's a major firefight up north. I don't know what's going on, but we can't get any air support. I'm like, okay, I can't get air support. I was like, well, can I get, I had mortars. He said, well, can I fire? I had to ask permission to fire um, high explosive mortars into into Pakistan because they were on the other side of the border and they wouldn't give me the okay to fire mortars into Pakistan. Um, and it was like, dude, we are literally, we can see them gearing up to come and take us down. I want to disrupt that operation and you won't give me air support. You won't let me fire mortars. Like I can't do anything. What, you know? And they said, well, you can fire an illumination round, which is like a flare that goes off in the air. And so, uh, I do some math and I call in this fire mission and the, as soon as I call it in, the mortar sergeant comes back and, and when you fire an illumination round, you have to set the elevation above the mountaintop so that when it goes off, oh, I guess my kids are showering now. So <laughs> can you hear that? No, I don't really hear it. Oh, okay. That's perfect. <laughs> I just tell you, I think you just told the whole audience that they're showering. But. Oh, absolutely. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is uh, life in, under COVID. Well, when we do one in person, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, and so, so you're supposed to set the elevation of blow up above the ground and then it, it, this light comes down. And um, I did some math. I call on the fire mission and the mortar sergeant comes back and he goes, check elevation. So he's telling me my elevation's wrong. I was like, elevation's right, over. And there's this long pause on the radio. And then he comes back and he goes, <laughs> Roger. Right. So he figured out what I was doing. And what I did was 
I figured out where their fire was. And instead of blowing it up a hundred meters above them, I set it to blow up a hundred meters below them. Uh -huh. So I fired a 120 millimeter cannonball at this location and he fired it and it hit the fire of the enemy and then it blew up. The flare went and the flare hits this tree and this tree just goes up in flames and we can see these guys running around everywhere yeah. like, oh my God, you know, like, and uh, so, you know, I used an illumination round with the tools that I had and what was allowed, I used it in a unique way and we disrupted the enemy attack. Um, and, and so but you made them more visible too, because absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They ended up not coming after that. So we broke them up. So, and, and, um, they had defections and everything like that. They didn't. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, so the question of what am, what am I doing today? So talking about creative problem solving, looking at situations differently. Um, so when, when COVID hit, um, I stopped, selling i think last time i was here i talked about my leadership course and, and i stopped selling it i stopped selling it because i'm a budget owner and we're looking at our break-even point and um we're doing all of these analysis of how do we make sure we don't lay people off and i'm and as i'm we're doing this i'm i'm remembering um six months ago and at, at the time it's like eight or nine months ago now where I took dinner to one of my employees who had just had a baby. And that is like lingering in the back of my mind as we're looking at this situation. And so that feeling when, when someone comes to me and says, Hey, do you want to buy a product right now or buy a server, like add to my expense line. It's hard for me to explain to you how little interest I have in adding to my expense line at this point. Um, because I'm trying to figure out how do I stretch every penny, you know? And so that also made me think like, there's a market here for a solution, right? There's, there's a solution out there where it's gotta be something creative, something where we can come in and say, you know, here's how you stretch that number. And, and, and after months of searching, we finally found it. Um, and I ended up buying this franchise. And what we do is, we do an audit for free. We come and look at your expenses and there's certain expense categories that we have a team of experts at the home office. Um, and we look at your telecom, we look at your waste, we look at um, merchant services, you know, the credit card processing, we look at shipping, we look at uh, e-signature. If you have um, vehicles that you got to log the, the miles on, we look at all of these different expense categories. They've done thousands and thousands of deals and all of this and understand it um very clearly and almost always find a savings for somebody and then share in the savings um but the, the the key is that we come in without a cost to you and take some dollars from your expense line and immediately today if you implement what i'm telling you tomorrow those expense line dollars now go to your ebitda your bottom line right so we're finding profit in the expense because you know you can add to the bottom line by growing that sales but that is a hard thing to do and it takes time whereas you get somebody like me and i'll come in there for free and i'll look at your stuff i'm making a bet that i can find something and then you know that's on on tuesday yeah. uh, middle of or on july 1st i look at it july 20th i come back and say here's what you need to do in august 1st that's implemented so from your July to your August budget, you've just saved that money. The MC at my events, he, uh, he does cost reduction. And uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of savings that, that, uh, that are made. Um, yeah. But like, what made you get into that field? There's, there's definitely awesome, like there's awesome opportunity in it. And there's also challenges in that, um, in that field. Um, but like what, what made you passionate about getting in this particular? Like I said, you know, if I looked at this and said, you know, because I, as a budget owner, I know like how some of these decisions are made, you know, like I don't look at these telecom stuff and figure, you know, what's the best. I just call the dude and he's like, this is what you need. All right, cool. And then, and then that's it. Like I need a quick solution. And I need to just move forward. And then when we start looking at cutting costs, hmm we don't understand all of these little things and all of these details and all that, but we do understand 
manpower. We do understand hours of operation, right? Like that is things that we get. And so the conversations invariably go to how do we cut man hours, right? And so these are, and like I said, and these are real people that, that are, so how do I'm, I'm, I find an opportunity and I find something where I say, look, before you look at that direct expense line, let me look at your indirect expense line. Let me see if I can find something here in your indirect expenses first, before mm. you look at chopping off the meat, right? On the yeah. And, yeah. and that translates into real people, real jobs, real families in a real difficult situation right now. Yeah. So even with like my itty bitty company, I know we overspend on certain things, you know, I'm happy to look at it, <laughs> but I can't, I, I can't imagine what it's like for somebody that has like a thousand employees, you know, sure. and to deal with all of this stuff that all of them are asking for on a consistent basis. Yeah, but even a guy like you, if, if we were able to save you a thousand dollars a month, I mean, that's a big deal, right? Right. That, that, that's not, that's not peanuts. Yeah. So, and, and you know, those mid-sized and small businesses right now really need help too. And, and, you know, so I'm happy to look at, even if it means 50 bucks a month that, that we make from that deal, right? It's, yeah. that was $50 a month to somebody else. And that means something to them. And I'm happy to do that and happy to, you know, find and help people out. And that's kind of, I just feel like as a business community right now, I've been talking this whole time about making peace and bringing people together. Right. And that's kind of where I am, I guess, now in my point in life where, Here's yeah. an opportunity to rally around each other and say, okay, let's help each other out. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, let's do one in person. Let's do a podcast in person eventually. Yes. Uh, and uh, I look forward to it, man. Me too. Me too. How's that baby doing? Uh, she's doing good. Three month uh, anniversary today. Yeah. <laughs> My wife's celebrating her uh, <laughs> birthday today. Um, sleeping yet all through the night? Uh, yeah, I'm sleeping through the night now. All right. It wasn't as much, but now I am. I think we've kind of fixed her schedule, you know? Okay. Um, because before she was just like indiscriminately crying at, at any opportune moment. Right. Um, and um, now she, it seems like she sleeps during a specific time now. It seems like we're, we've kind of figured that part out, but she still needs to be fed. So she yeah. still has to be woken up sometimes. Oh, it's a great time. It's a great time. And it's I just like, stressful, but <laughs> get expressions and they, you get feedback on your stuff, you know? Now you, well, yeah. She, she started smiling like at a month and a half, two months. She started yeah. smiling at us and we're like, it was the biggest thing to us. We're like, wow, she's smiling. <laughs> it's like all these little things. You just, you, you get so excited. You're starting to learn about love. Right? Yeah. Every yeah. day that goes by, you, you learn that you can love a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And it's like, man, that's, that's, I didn't oh, realize it's a, was capable of this. It's a different kind of love, you know, with, with children, you know, yeah. Yeah. different, it's different. Uh, you know, we, we love all, all our, like our family members and stuff like that. But when you have a kid, it's just like, just takes it to a whole new level, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, all right, man. Well, hey, let's talk again soon. I look let's forward to it and let's crush it. All right, brother.